For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Blake Street Irregulars, your local Colorado Rockies podcast. We're down here at uh, 10th and Lincoln, so yeah, exactly 10 blocks away from Coors Field. My name is Sean Drotar, your host. We'll talk about the Rockies. Uh, now they return home. They'll be facing against the Los Angeles Angels to start, and then a, a very good Milwaukee Brewers team, and brought to you, as always, by Tap 14, our friends at Tap 14, 1920 Blake Street, uh, just a hop, skip, and a jump from the home plate entrance at Coors Field. You can almost throw a baseball there, but don't do that because there are always people walking and you're going to get sued. But nevertheless, head on up there. They have a fantastic rooftop bar. They have over 70 Colorado draft beers, 100 Colorado distilled spirits, and a terrific menu that rotates. Uh, it's all, most of it's locally sourced. Chef Andrea Varela does a terrific job up there, and the views simply can't be beat. I go there before games, after games. I'm just happy they don't charge me rent. So make sure you check them out at tap14.com. Spell it out tap14.com. With me today is the editor-in-chief of Mile High Sports Magazine, Doug Ottawill. Doug, how are you? I'm good. Couldn't well, be better. Couldn't be better. They're on a five-game winning streak. It's the best they've played uh, really all season long, but the Rockies return home where they are, well, inexplicably five and seven best at home. Best part of that sentence is yeah. return home. Right. Five-game winning streak on the road. I mean, you know, what do you want? Well, they... I want a winning record at home, Doug, is what <laughs> yeah, I want. That's fair. And they're two under right now. They're sitting at five and seven. They've spent most of the season thus far uh, on the road where they've actually been as good as they've ever been on the road. But it hasn't translated to home. And now you have a, a pair against the Angels. And then you take on the Milwaukee Brewers, a team that was pretty good last year in the hunt right up until the end. And then invested a decent amount of money and made a great trade for Christian uh, Yelich out there. So uh, this is a big homestand for the Rockies. They get six straight, and it's been a while since they've been at home. What do they need to do differently? Because even in that five-game winning streak, they only scored more than three runs twice. Yeah, I mean, the obvious answer is is they got a hit. But, uh, but I, I kind of look at this as a classic baseball conundrum. I mean, the law of averages always plays out in baseball. And at some point, especially at home for this team, which historically has always been a better home team, at some point, the law of averages is going to work out, and, and this has got to flip. Unfortunately, this is, a, this is a pretty tough stretch to flip that trend. I mean, we were just talking before, before we hopped on. The Angels are 11-2 at Coors Field, which is, was kind of unbelievable. Cause it's not like you think of the Angels as a historically great franchise that just comes in and runs roughshod over everybody. But 11-2 at Coors Field, I mean, that's... That's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty big number. But then again, maybe the law of averages uh, comes around and, and that kind of settles down too. I, I think the the biggest thing is that that I, I I think and you know we've talked about this. I think you need to develop that consistency in the lineup. I mean, the obvious answer is Ian Desmond needs to hit. You know, if you're looking at problem areas thus far in the season, but you know, consistency in the in the one through eight, I think is the is the main key. Can they get that going right now? I hope so, but I, I think they will eventually. This lineup is too good not to. 
You'd think so. And and in this case, the you talked about the Angels being 11-2 at Coors Field. And, and that's one of those year-over-year things that's an interesting sort of quirk. But uh, it, it's also just as dangerous this year because on the road, the Angels are 13-3 and this right. season. Wow. They have been dominant on the road. I mean, they've been absolutely spectacular on the road. And, and we know they're led by Mike Trout, Albert Pujols. Uh, get his 3,000th hit, obviously. that's a that, It sort of revitalized him a little bit, that chase. And they have Shohei Otani, who's been phenomenal. The Rockies will not face him on the mound in this particular uh, two-game series. But they at some point, you have to think they're going to give him some bats here at Coors Field. Sure. So I hope. There are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of weapons uh, on L.A., and you'd like to see the Rockies at least split it. But I guess I look at it through the whole, the whole homestand, and I, I want to make sure that they win not only at least four out of six, but I, I'd like to see them win five out of six to get themselves back on track at home. But these are going to be tough games. The Angels, as we talked about, you know, terrific road team, third best record in the AL, and the Brewers exactly, as we record this on Tuesday, tied with the Rockies at 20 and 15 and very promising too. The, the first game tonight, uh, John Gray takes the mound. John Gray, I think, in his last two starts, probably strung together the best two back-to-back uh, outings of his entire career. And I think that's really sort of the the subplot of this. I mean, obviously, you mentioned the the turning things around at home, and and it would be great to go four out of six. But I, I think as as important or equally important is that John Gray goes out and has another good start because I think mentally, I mean, two games in a row that's phenomenal. That you you love having that out of your guy that's supposed to be an ace, and he hasn't been an ace this year. But but two games in a row is a heck of a good start. If you get three. I think that's a big uh, a big hurdle for a pitcher because after three good starts, you're starting to say, you know what, I'm pretty darn good. Uh, I'm, I'm a good pitcher, and John Gray is a good pitcher. I think that he just he has mental hurdles from time to time and, and inconsistencies. But if you go three games in a row where you give kind of your best your best outings, I, I think that plays really really well into someone's mental state and as it pertains to establishing themselves as the ace. In, in Gray's case, I, I think that's a really good point, three in a row, and especially if the third would be against this Angels team. A great hitting lineup. A great hitting lineup, and I believe the best player in baseball in Mike Trout on top of that in a, in a, in a hitter's park. So, I mean, if you get it done against this Angels team at Coors Field, there are plenty of reasons to feel confident, especially building on the two before. Gray, actually, when you look at a lot of his numbers, some are obviously pretty scary. Some of them are pretty good. His ERA at 499 is not okay. That's not acceptable. Of course, he's lowering it substantially, only one or run in the last two but the other thing I look at is the strikeouts now he leads the team in strikeouts with 41 and he's only had 10 walks that's a really important thing for the Rockies but the the one part where I look at this for John Gray over the course of the season and, and actually even the way he's pitched in his career that strikeout to walk ratio is very good the Rockies right. will take that all the time I think one of the things that Gray however is doing it's the road to hell is paved with good intentions kind of thing. <laughs> yes. He's almost throwing too many strikes in yeah. the effort to avoid a walk. And while, while his heart's in the right place, the problem is if guys like Mike Trout know that a strike is coming, they're going to crush that ball. And I think that's what's hit Gray more than anything. He also leads the team with five home runs allowed. Well, I th- and I think that's a great point. It kind of leads to another question. I just read an article that, a uh, reporter said, you know, because Mike Trout is obviously red hot right now, and reporter said, you know, what is it? What's going on? And he said, I'm getting pitches, and I'm not missing them. So I think that plays into if you're John Gray, you know, I, I'll pose the question to you. How do you handle Mike Trout? If you're John Gray, if you're Bud Black, 
uh, if you're Steve Foster, how, what are you telling uh, your your guy who is coming off of two good starts? You really want him to have that third. What are you telling him as it pertains to, hey, here's what we're going to do with Trout? Do you tell him to attack him or do you tell him, man, if this guy gets on base as one of your walks this game, that's okay. Let, let's handle him with kick gloves. I'm not sure what you do. But uh, I, I think I lean toward not giving him a whole lot to deal with. Yeah, and I think I, it depends on the situation. I think if the bases are empty, I think I want John Gray to go get him because I think you want to give your guy confidence and say, no, we know you can go get him. Right. We know you can go get him, Mike Trout, so go get him. But yeah, if all of a sudden there's already a guy on second or something, yeah, I mean, you 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 dance around him, even maybe even intentionally walk him, because he's the kind of guy that can, can completely wreck your game single-handedly. Completely. So you need to make sure he doesn't do that, and you want to make sure the guys behind him have to do it. So I think it very heavily depends on the situation, but I, I don't necessarily want to defang Gray. You want him to be aggressive and want him to be confident and want him to eventually get that Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander mindset where uh, you know those guys couldn't care less about who you are coming to the plate. And he has wipeout stuff. He can go get even a Mike Trout. He does. And this is where I think it's interesting, what we talked about before, that maybe throwing too many strikes. This is the evolution for John Gray to go from, as they they say, from a, a thrower to a pitcher. He can certainly, he has outstanding stuff. He really does have, uh, you, you compare his stuff to say a Scherzer, it's not that different. Not the raw ability. Right. The difference is in the approach, in learning the guys you're, you're facing, learning how to approach them, learning when to change your approach, all of the situational stuff that comes with pitching and being able to consistently hit your spots. But to me, it is that mental part of the game that it's the, the slowest part to develop, and it's the part where John Gray is maybe not fully formed yet. Well, and we forget, I mean, really, this is only his third year. I mean, I know it's his fourth in, te- in terms of how many times he's he's been up with the club, but he's still a young guy. And I, and I do think that's, uh, you know, you don't want to give someone who is supposed to be the staff ace a pass on something like that. But he's young enough to where y- you certainly wouldn't lose confidence in him because that is a huge learning curve, especially if you if you think about all the things that a Colorado Rockies pitcher has to deal with in terms of their learning curve, it's not just how to handle all the best hitters in the majors. It's how to handle yourself at home, how to handle yourself on the road. I mean, there's a lot of things going on in, in a Rockies pitcher's mind. So I think the the fact that he's still young is is a good thing. But yeah, this is a time. This is a great time for him to mature right now. Yeah, he's 26 years old, which is still for a pitcher relatively young. And of right. course, it's because he uh, spent all the time uh, at Oklahoma pitching, didn't come right out of high school, but. In Gray's case, I think it's interesting. We've we've danced around it a bit, but you and I have talked about this offline before, and I've talked about this on the podcast or on the radio show on Miley Sports uh, in Denver. But John Gray, the, the biggest step for him is what happens when he has adversity. When he's dealing like he had right. been in the past two games, no problem. But when he gets hit early, we saw it especially in the wild card game against Arizona last year, but we also saw it in his opening start of the year this year. What do you do when right off the bat you have a bad inning? When, when you... Give up two runs in, in the first inning. It's not ideal, but you can't just fold and make your bullpen have to throw six innings of ball. You have to find a way to put it behind you. That's the one part that John Gray doesn't seem to have gotten figured out. And that psychology part of the game, uh, that's something that's that's unique to every person. And I think uh, Steve Foster, Bud Black, you know they've been working on it. Uh, when will you feel confident that you see something like that? Obviously, you don't want to watch any game where John Gray gives up two, three runs in the first. 
But it does happen. It, it does happens happen. to everybody. When will you feel better about it? I, I will feel better if if I see it happen a couple times this season, and especially, and I don't want this to happen tonight because I think it's a has a chance to unravel really quickly. But you know, if he's going up against a a really good hitting lineup, or he's going up again against a team in a must win kind of game, I think those are the chances that you. You never want your pitcher in that situation, but you do want to see him come out of them. I mean, look at look at a guy like Kyle Freeland, and, and we talk about John Gray being young. Well, Kyle Freeland is really young. And the other day, I believe it was against the Mets, he gives up two in the first, and then he goes six innings without giving up another one. And, and that's with Noah Syndergaard opposing him on the mound, a guy that can absolutely shut your team down. So that's an opportunity to, to get nervous. You realize, oh, no, I coughed up the lead already against a guy that might be able to completely shut our offense down, which we haven't gotten there yet, which still hasn't been very good. But hey, we, that, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but I think that's a that's a that's a thing. And maybe if there is a concern with John Gray, is like, is that ability something that's just wired in from birth, or is it something that you learn over time? I think it's probably a little of both, and and I think different guys have different approaches. But you do look at a guy like Kyle Freeland, and you think, man, that kid's tough. He's tough mentally. Um, and, and you want to see that with John Gray. I think you need to see that with John Gray a couple times. And if nothing else, same same as what I was saying about three games in a row versus two games in a row. It's just those little things I think he needs to have in the back of his head of, I'm going to be okay. I am a really good starter, or I can get through adversity in the first, second innings. And, and then I think once you have a couple of those experiences, I think you grow from it, and and, and hopefully that's, that's where you are in terms of your evolution. One of the things that obviously helps pitchers in that case, too, is knowing that you're going to keep the game close because your offense will carry the day. Well, and that's been a problem. This has been the problem. The Rockies as a team, and this is this is I'm not you're not hearing this incorrectly. They're hitting 228. There are only two teams in the National League with a lower batting average. One of them remarkably is Arizona. The, the best team Amazing. in the NL. Yeah. How so, does that work? <laughs> uh, go figure. That's one of those sort of oddities that happens. But uh, yeah, you have Paul Goldschmidt hitting in the 220s, and they're still uh, the best team in the, in the National League. So I, don't ask me on that one. We'll get to that when the Diamondbacks come to town. But uh, this is not an acceptable or sustainable thing for the Rockies. They, they're striking out far too often. Uh, this, this team strikes out a, a ton of the time. And I understand that all of baseball is going that route. But there are few teams that I think it hurts worse than the Rockies right. because the Rockies are a team that based especially at home the idea is you, you draw a walk here and there you get a single and then somebody hits the home run and then you put up a crooked number in, in, in the inning the Rockies have a lot of home runs they're they're among the, the league leaders but their number of RBIs compared to home runs is really really low how do these guys change their focus uh, did they try to string something together or is this just at this point now we're a month in do you think this is just who they are? Is this just a swing for the Downs team, or, or can they adjust? I don't think so, because I think you have too many good, good hitters in this lineup. Uh, and, you know, look, DJ LeMahieu being hurt has not helped that batting average because he's a, he's a what I love to call a professional hitter. I mean, Absolutely. knows how to hit situationally, hits behind the runners, you know, is the guy that's going to get you that double when you need it. Um, he's not necessarily a, a big bat home run. I mean, he can he can hit the ball out of the park, but he, but that's not what he does typically. I mean, and then you talk about a guy like Charlie Blackman. Yeah, he has tons of power, but he's also the best leadoff hitter in the majors last year. And you you're not that by just hitting home runs. I mean, I think if you're looking at real problem areas, I mean, just to just to just to call it out like it is. I mean, you got Trevor Story, who's a home run 
or a strikeout. Yeah. You've got uh, Ian Desmond, who just he just simply hasn't been what the Rockies needed him to be. And I don't know if that's because he's, you know, jockeying around different positions in the outfield and he just can't get any consistency. If he's, you know, a hundred percent healthy, you just never really know. But clearly that is a, that's a big problem, especially when he was supposed to be a solution, not necessarily uh, a, you know, a, a stop gap or something like that. I mean, he's supposed to be your guy. So I think this team is, you know, when you think about, Nolan, Charlie, DJ, um, you know, I think that the, those guys are too good at hitters to to not have this thing turn around a little bit. You know, the other one, and I, I, I believe you were talking about on the show the other day that I think is a sort of something that nobody talks about that much is not having Jonathan Lucroy. I mean, yeah. he, he's a catcher that can flip the lineup and, and do kind of those little things in terms of, of, of hitting that – you know, Chris Sinet is not a bad hitter, but he he hasn't. Well, he's uh, nowhere near. Yeah, Luke I mean, Lucroy is nowhere a, near. Is a very good hitter. Right, he's one and, of the best hitting catchers in the game, and he's a good defensive catcher. I think that was the biggest loss for the Rockies in the offseason, and I, I think they tried it, but you know, maybe they didn't wait long enough because he ended up not signing for an enormous deal like right. he wanted to get. But uh, Inet has done a nice job defensively. But sure, I, I, I mean, think they knew full well he wasn't going to be in a, a major offensive force. He never has been over the course nope, of his career. And he's not going to he's not going to change his spots, so to speak. But I mean, and, and perhaps that is the trade off because this pitching staff has has dealt with some adversity and they've come through it fine. I mean, what is their, I think the starters ERA in the last six games, seven games, something like that is like 1.7. Yeah, it's been outstanding. And they've gone six innings all the time. I mean, it's... Ionet is doing actually what the Rockies right. paid him to do. Right. You brought up Ian Desmond. That's one of the concerns. He hit, he hit two home runs on Sunday. Uh, that was It was big for them. But that brought his average up to 188. I mean, this has been a disastrous season yet again. Not only is he hitting 188, but his strikeout-to-walk ratio is 31 to 5. And that kills you. When a guy's not even putting the ball in play, I mean, you know... It's just if it's an all or none and mostly none, it, it, it just it's not a, a recipe for for having success offensively. And and I guess it kind of begs the question, like, at what point do you I don't want to say throw in the towel, but, um, you know, they juggle them around. They, just, you know, they try different things. And I understand it's not a, it's not an easy challenge for Bud Black to overcome. But, you know, they've got a lot of money invested in him. It obviously has very little trade value at the moment. Zero trade value. What do you None. do? Zero. You know, what do you do? I mean, that's kind of the, do well, you just I, sit him down and take the loss? <laughs> I, I don't know. And this is the tricky part because the, the Jeff Bridish, I think, has made a lot of good moves. This move I didn't like. I didn't like it the day it happened. I don't like it now because you, you paid a lot of money for a guy who is not a big power hitter. It really was. Maybe a 20 homer guy, which is fine. But not a high average guy either. Average sits in the high 260s over the course of his career. And he never played first base. And so now when Ryan McMahon... a lot McMahon, of assumptions. It, it was a lot of assumptions. When Ryan McMahon uh, couldn't handle it and wasn't ready at this point, okay, no other options. You're playing Pat Vileka there. Vileka is a utility infielder, but not a first baseman, and he hasn't been able to hit. So really, you have no other options. You can either play Gerardo Parra there, which they did at times, but he's miscast, or the one little sleeper idea is maybe you move Carlos Gonzalez there. He's a lefty. Maybe you save a little wear and tear on his body. Uh, there's certainly, look, if the guy's a multiple-time gold glover in right, he, he can grab a ground ball or two. I'm not too concerned about that. 
So I think maybe that's an option. But again, you're talking about a $70 million guy in Desmond. You have to set aside. I don't know where they go. In Gonzalez's case, it's a little bit different. David Dahl has come up and looked really good. Again, plate discipline's a problem, but you knew that was going to be the case. But the ability is there. And in this case now with Gonzalez, who's also scuffling at only 213, quite frankly, as great a career as he's had with the Rockies, you can sit him because David Dahl at this point in his career should be playing as long as he's healthy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. you know, the the first base situation is kind of interesting because, you know, they really kind of got lucky last year with Reynolds. I mean, they, they, the guy played great. And I, I to be honest, I've kind of lost track of him. I don't, I don't know what he's ended up signing for, or if it was a bargain, or if it wasn't, but you know, I, they were kind of quick to give up on that for a guy that was so good. Well, I think by the end of the year, he had finally been the Mark Reynolds of old where he was just swinging and missing at everything. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. His years, his uh, numbers on the year were pretty impressive. And maybe that's where you get a guy that's aging and, you know, so on and so it, forth. It but tapered off a lot. Yeah. This was a guy that yeah. was, you know, strikeouts uh, anyway. So but that's... I- they, they, they've always kind of just, and I don't know why this is, they've always just kind of assumed someone will just fill in there. And, you know, you make a good point about Desmond. I mean, he, all of his numbers kind of were what they were. I mean, you're not like, it's not like you're getting a young player and to assume he can just step into first and, and be sufficient. And with those numbers, those really aren't first baseman type no, numbers. No, I mean, you'd much rather have a guy that's it's hitting for more power. And, um, you know, I guess his lifetime average is okay for a first baseman but it, it, well it's okay for a first baseman who hits 35 homers a year. right I mean, right his career betting average is 265 and and that's that why that's why that decision was so interesting to me because uh, what what the rockies got out of him remember the rockies remember how awful right he was awful last year he hit 274 his career batting average is 265 now it was an abbreviated season because of the injuries but the funny thing is if you actually go over his numbers the power numbers were a little bit down but otherwise he basically, if you were to prorate it, did about what he's done over the course of his career. Right, right. So it's clear that the Rockies actually just kind of made a bad call. I know they wanted to, to show the fans and show Nolan Arenado in particular that they were intent on winning and were going to spend money on it. They, they just made a call on the wrong guy. But there's nothing you can do about it anymore. Right. Uh, there's nowhere else you can play him. He can't play in really any other position. He shouldn't be playing the outfield when you have uh, Charlie Blackman. A lot of good outfielders. And David Dahl there. there. He shouldn't be in the outfield. And Para. You know, yeah, and Para as well, who needs to be able to play. Another guy that's actually paid a decent amount of money. So I think the Rockies just need to stick Ian Desmond at first and tell him, figure it out. Uh, you're getting $70 bucks. Figure it out. But it also means that from time to time you're going to have these bad games. Something at the lower half of that lineup, that they've got to get it figured out. They've got to start taking some pitches so they can put together big innings. To my, to my mind, their underwhelming performance at home purely comes to the fact that they simply can't put up more than one run at a time. Right. And this would be the time for the Rockies to, now that they're rolling a little bit, now that there's some confidence, the power for the team in general is not in question. They have 46 home runs as a team already. They've got to start taking some pitches. They've got to start taking some walks. They've got to start working deep into some counts and get into the bullpen earlier. And they've got to go ahead and, look, drop your shoulder. Hit it to the opposite field. Get a single. Not everybody has to crank it out of the park the whole time. And until they start doing that, I'm going to be nervous about the potential for this team. Yeah. And, and I mean, you're right. It's, it's not the power numbers that are the concern. It's the, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's the doubles, you know, Coors Field is a doubles park. Yeah, people think of it as a home run it's park. Not, it, it, it is, it, but it, it's, it, yeah, it's, right. it's more of a it's doubles the be- park. It's the best doubles park, exactly. And you, you got to have those because those are how you string together innings because, you know, all of a sudden, 
you know, you're moving base runners overs on out on outs. You're, you're getting guys in with sack flies. I mean, the, that's how you score at Coors field. I mean, yeah, you can hit the ball out and, and that's everybody loves a home run, but I mean, you're right. It's, it's the one run innings as opposed to the four run innings. That's the big difference. Rockies are second in the national league in home runs one behind Washington at 46, but they are 10 doubles behind Washington. And that leads to a difference in RBI of well, 26 and they're 26 behind uh, they're negative 10 on the season and run differential. So that's something you don't expect out of the Rockies. So to, to my mind, an opportunity here against the Angels and against the Brewers to finally uh, get a little more traction, keep it going, feel better at home. They come out of this home series winning four out of six, maybe even five out of six. I'm feeling great about where the Colorado Rockies are. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I think if they win four out of six, I feel like, man, you've you've just won, what's that, nine out of 11? I mean, that's that's pretty hot. And That's it's a confidence hot. builder. On the bright side, the Rockies also are at least hoping to have DJ LeMahieu available for either the opening game of this Angels series or perhaps Wednesday. He's eligible to come off the DL, and the Rockies are going to make that decision as we record this a little bit later today. I suspect that LeMahieu will be back within the next day or two, and that will be a big, big bonus. So we'll be back later in the week to check in on the Rockies following part of this homestand. We'll be all the way through it and see how they played against the Angels and see how the weekend sets up for them as well. My guest uh, on Friday will be Benny Bash from Mile High Sports Radio. He'll join me as well, a uh, guy that played a lot of baseball himself. So that'll be a fun conversation. Uh, Doug, uh, let, let people know where they can find you. Of course, Mile High Sports Magazine, brand new issue uh, on the shelves as of today. With Charlie Blackman on the cover. That's right, Charlie Blackman on the cover. So make sure you check that out. And uh, you can catch all of everything we're doing at milehighsports.com. You can follow Doug on Twitter at dottawill. Follow me at S Drotar. We make it really easy, right? We went first initial last name. It's just we have nightmare <laughs> last names for people to figure out. So That's uh, right. uh, best of luck. But uh, Doug, thank you so much for joining us today. Really hey, appreciate you bet. it. It was fun. Uh, brought to you as always by Tap 14, 1920 Blake Street. If you are going to any of these Rockies games at this home stand uh, today, for example, it's going to be 80 degrees out. Uh, go do a little, you know, do a little pregame there. The party <laughs> deck is nice at Coors Field. I get it. But the beers are eight, nine bucks. You can go to uh, Tap 14, get Colorado craft beers right there on tap. It's reasonable, and they have quite the rooftop as well. So check them out, tap14.com. Make sure to spell it all out, tap14.com. I'll probably see some of you there tonight. For Doug Ottawill, I'm Sean Drotar. Thank you very much for listening. This is the Blake Street Irregulars on Mile High Sports. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.